Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. I'm Chris, podcaster of games, defender of the secrets of Eurogames. This is BGA, my fearless podcast. Gaming secrets were revealed to me the day I held aloft my awesome microphone and said, by the power of podcast, we have the followers! Dude, Hasbro, we're going to get hit by a lawsuit. Dude, we don't have a sponsorship yet, okay? We don't have a legal department. Let's just roll it back a little. Look, I have the power! Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. Uh, welcome to episode six. This week we are talking about Spirium, along with San Juan, Shadow Hunters, and Werewolf Inquisition. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This is Anthony. Hi, this is Dan. Hey, this is Chris. This is Kim. All right, guys, we are back. This is episode six. Uh, today is the September 24th. Um, I just wanted to start off by saying that we are now officially on Board Game Geek. So I've set up the guild. You can connect with us there. You can uh, follow us, um, check out our videos, anything we post online, it will be on the guild. And um, we'll all be on there as well. So you can connect with each of us individually. Um, of course, in addition to Facebook, if you uh, find us on there. Um, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to Great Big Table. Uh, they connected with us on Twitter. Um, they were saying a lot of great things about Extra Life, uh, spreading the word about the event coming up. And um, they have a lot of good content themselves, or good podcasts. So that's at Great Big Table. All right, so we're going to hop right into the news. Uh, we have a few updates on some new stuff coming out, along with some Extra Life updates. All right, we are one week closer to Extra Life, our 25-hour gaming marathon, uh, benefiting charities for children's hospitals. And we are uh, everything's are coming together. It's actually getting pretty exciting. We have at least one game publisher who has uh, agreed to send us... Um, some uh, donation for the event, uh, Arcane Wonders, I believe. Yeah, the maker of Mage Wars, which is an awesome game that we just started playing this week, and we want to thank them for their support. Yeah, they got back to us right away, so that was that was awesome. We're really starting to get psyched about the support. Where uh, uh, people are just everybody's excited about this. We're hearing good things on Twitter. We're hearing good things on Facebook. Um, lots of people have already volunteered, so we're building up. Um, a lot of events that we're going to be announcing in the weeks to come, but right now I can say that if you are a game publisher, a designer, a podcaster, or just 
gamer who wants to participate or donate or anything at all, um, even just send a shout out, um, you should connect with us because we're, we're trying to bring as many people in and make this as great of an event as possible, all for a good cause. And also just want to note, if you're a gamer in New York, New Jersey, if whenever the gaming marathon has come around on November 2nd, you wanted to get in on it, but there was nothing around you, Myriad Games on Staten Island, we're going to be running it. It's finally your chance to get in all that gaming that you wanted to. Yeah, all those long games. Um, one cool thing we're working on is a schedule of games. So we're going to have this long list of games scheduled hour by hour throughout the 25 hours. Um, you can sign up, and then you're locked in. You get to play that game. And we have volunteers coming in to host these games. Um, we're hoping to have that list ready for you pretty soon. Um, and you can kind of run through and decide if there's something you want to play or haven't played before. Uh, there'll be people there to teach it and to run it. So that's going to be really cool. Yeah, we'll also have the opportunity to check out the new hotness. A lot of new games will be open there, and we'll have an extensive gamer library. So if you just want to pull something out and play, sit down at the table and grab some friends, it's a good time. One game that I would like to get into would be a talisman game. I just picked up the new expansion, the city expansion. So I can't wait to try that out. And that might actually take all 25 hours. So that'll actually work out really well. Unless nobody becomes a toad. If they don't become a toad, it should be fine. So if nobody drags it out. Then, yeah. 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 We'll have the space for it. So if you do drag it out. <laughs> These people have been playing Talisman for 25 hours, stumbling around the store. Just we can't do Rune Wars, or what is that game? Oh, we might be able to actually do two battles in Rune Wars in that much. I plan on it. <laughs> we better be playing Rune Wars. Oh, it's so good. It's been so long since we played. I know, yeah, the dust on the table. <laughs> All right, so that's... You know, that's the uh, Extra Life event that's coming up real soon. Um, and we're going to have more information every week. And, of course, keep up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and now Board Game Geek, where we will uh, update you on all the new stuff as it comes about. For now, though, let's get on to some games. Um, I know, Chris, you were telling me just yesterday about a bunch of new uh, Apple um, or apps coming out for the um, iPhone. You may remember from our earlier podcast where we talked about Small World 2 coming out. If you already picked up Small World, the original app, Small World 2 was an expansion for the original Small World app. So if you have Small World, all you have to do is click the refresh button and you'll actually be able to download Small World 2 for free. No, that's the one that ups the number of players, right? Yeah, now you actually get to play with three, four, or five players. So no more brutal beatdowns of the hyper-aggressive computer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you can struggle against your friends instead of the computer that wants you really dead every time. Well, at least you lose to something with a soul. That's always a nice change of pace. Actually, you do get to have multiple bots in this game, too, so it's a oh, nice great. change. <laughs> That's good, because when I played it on the iPad, it was such a turn-off, because the, the bot was just ruthless. Like, it just non-stop following me, and it was just brutal. So, I like the idea how now it's like, yeah, we can have three people playing. Maybe the bot, maybe not. Sure. It, it definitely opens up a lot of possibilities, and the gameplay is definitely a lot more diverse. Yeah, I just want to set five bots and just watch them murder each other. Right. <laughs> it's like one of the few iOS apps that I've seen where they turn up the difficulty so high on the app. Usually they're just like shooting off into the distance. You're like, what are you doing? Are yeah. we playing the same game? It definitely has a certain strategy to the AI. It definitely comes after you. So you do have to kind of turn around and go after the AI. So this version plays with three, four, or five players in addition to the, the normal two. But you can also play online. There's pass and play. Um, it, not only does it have the original races, but... If you kickstarted it, you'll also get the royal bonus. That comes with three new races and three new powers. That's not bad. Yeah. And that comes for free if you kickstart it, which was a great opportunity. Um, there's also 
the Be Not Afraid expansion, which is an in-app purchase for an additional $5. And I've been playing it online. It's pretty good. Um, there is some difficulty still with getting players playing together at the same time, but the artwork is great. It plays really nice. And it actually, unlike the last one where you had to kind of jump back and forth to see what the races and the powers do, when you pick a race, it actually comes up with this nice book that shows you exactly what the power does and exactly what the race does. And when you place your races, it's color-coded. So it'll actually have a little, a little sash of color to mark your players. And when it scores, it'll highlight the players. So all you have to do is tap on one player, and it'll show you all that, the different areas that it controls. See, now there's two things I like about that. Because the board game of Small World is set for three or more players. Yeah. So the one-on-one on the iPad originally was just beyond rough. You possibly could play with two. I'm trying to remember on the board because they had multiple boards for that. Yeah. Well, um, they said like the box outline was three plus, and yeah. I mean, which makes sense because it is just there's no reason not to constantly tuck each other. But I do like the idea now of that they also have expansions on this because some games, Small World is a game where it takes you like an hour to clean up. Absolutely. There's so many little chits and pieces. It's kind of nice to sometimes just go straight for that digital for a quicker play, kind of like Agricola. Absolutely. And uh, part of the Kickstarter is they're sending out all of their different expansions. So the digital, the digital races and powers you can get, actually get in cardboard form. That's and cool. uh, they're also releasing a designer edition, which I did order. Nice. So I'm actually looking forward to that. So actually, be it'll be nice wood pieces and a really kind of fancy box. Oh. So I know it's really. Really, kind of acquisition disorder material. Did it, so. did it send yeah. you back a mortgage payment? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit, look, but suppose um, it was something like if you ordered it through the Kickstarter, it was like eighty dollars cheaper. Just Ooh. by Ooh, that wait alone. a minute, eighty dollars cheaper means that thing is high. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> a little bit. Is but there they, a comment in that price? No, <laughs> there is no comment in that price. But they do go as far as engraving your name on the box. So Days of Wonder knows how to break out their components. And if you were one of the backers for the for the designer version, they actually have an ongoing forum where they're they're showing you the process in which they're trying to get the different components. So they showed they were talking about the pieces, they were talking about the coins, and Dan, the coins are metal. Uh, another <laughs> question, was there a backer level where you can actually be your own race like the Christopians? Actually there was an earlier version where one of the one of the pledge levels, I think it was something like it was pretty expensive. It was either I think it was about four hundred dollars, where it was a limited number of people. I think it was about eight or so people, and they'll make up artwork based upon your suggestion, oh. and it may or may not get into the final game. So <laughs> may or may not. Yeah, that sounds like a good filter <laughs> for four hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was a little bit of the issue. If it was a definite, I think that everyone would have yeah. paid a lot more for that, but. Um, great app, absolutely check it out. You won't be disappointed. Um, really good overall. Also, there's another app coming out which you should definitely take a look at. Um, Pandemic will be coming out on iOS on October 3rd. If you ever had a chance to play this, this is another game with a lot of little fiddly little cubes. Yeah. So this is a great idea for an iOS adaption. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I, I'm curious as to is to how many people are just going to play it single player going, oh, stupid team doesn't listen to me anyway. And just controlling it all themselves, tapping that they're the player two and player three on the team. Just Good idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that, is, that that's also one of the good things that you can play with an iOS game that, especially for a co-op game, you could play by yourself. 
Yeah. You could play all the different roles and kind of run through the game. Yeah, it will help you get familiar with some of the other roles. Sure. The only thing for me is there's so many expansions for that now. Like, the game is up to its second expansion, so I kind of want to play that instead of just the base game. Like, I played the base game a couple of times. I mean, it was fun, but it was just too much of the same. I like that idea of researching diseases or one player having the traitor mechanic and there being a bioterrorist. Or... No, I have yet to try those expansions. I'm really curious to how they run. Yeah, the new expansions, it definitely has gotten a lot more difficult to beat that game, which was already a difficult game to beat anyway. Yeah, I, like I just want to play a game where you're the bioterrorist. So everyone <laughs> knows that there's no way they can save humanity. <laughs> it's like, we gotta stop him, but it's Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could be one of the cubes if you want, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> you could write your name on each little cube. Oh, look, Dan's spreading. Isn't that a <laughs> I'm gonna wipe Dan out, but he's so cute. They, he's should the, do, they should just do like a crossover with Capcom and have like the T virus in one of the expansions, you know? <laughs> it's like in any other country that gets destroyed, and now they start attacking the other countries with the virus. That would be great. Somebody writing this down for Z Man? Because <laughs> this is some gold right here. <laughs> All right, so yeah, there's not a whole lot of new stuff coming out right now. Um, I know I just got, I saw a few announcements on Board Game Geek. Uh, but nothing like brand new, anything coming out right now. So we all know why, of course, because Essen is just around the corner. Yeah, and once Essen comes out, it's mainly developers and publishers. It's not an open public forum. But at Essen, they announced so many amazing games. You're going to see another sweep of games hitting the shelves soon. So now's a good time to just start playing those games that you picked up over the last few months. Get a few rounds of those in. Start playing a little more of Suburbia since that expansion is going to be out. Like I think that's going to get its huge debut at Essen. They've shown it a few times prior, but that'll probably be like the official release date. It's I can't wait to see everything that just pours out of the information from Essen. Yeah, and that's a that's like the big premier trade show basically for the board gaming industry. Um, you know, Gen Con's really big. There's a lot of people there, but that's more of a, a gamers convention. This is you know this is the people who make the games coming together. So a lot of stuff happens. You know, and this is every year in Germany. Yeah, it should be amazing. That's that's like the trip we got to start banking up for now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Gen Con next year, Essen, 27, 18. Yeah, 2020. Just make a nice round number. Yeah, yeah. Just, just go for the gold. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, the next couple of weeks we're going to have less new games coming out, more stuff, like, leaking out that, from Essen. Um, but uh, as soon as Essen hits, we're going to have just loads of new stuff because, you know, they're going to announce it, they're going to release it, there's going to be... First screenshots, first videos, tons of stuff. It's going to be awesome. All right, so that's everything in the news today. Um, next up, we have Acquisition Disorders. And now it's time for Acquisition Disorder Corner. Let's go to our eyes this week, guys. All right, so you know I'm a fan of the deck builders. Essentially, it has... Really? <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Rumor has it. <laughs> So when Ascension released the Darkness Unleashed for their Rise of the Vigil expansion, I had to grab it. It's like 30 bucks. Can't beat that. Uh, what's nice about this is it does mix up the game of Ascension from its previous editions by giving you transforming cards. So there will be monsters that when you defeat them, you get an alternate card as a hero for your deck. And using that Energize mechanic, if you haven't played Rise of the Vigil, there's these Energy Shard cards that will give you an Energize marker and you draw a card to replace them. And then there's additional heroes and constructs that you can play that will also energize. What they do is they kick off additional powers. So it might be where this card will normally give you two runes, but at the energized threshold of three, it gives you three runes. 
So the Energize helps ramp up all of its own type by giving you greater cards. So some of these cards will have an Energize 2, you transform them. So there's a hero that gives you one battle point. But when you transform him for an Energize of 3, he now gives you 4. So you can defeat stronger enemies easier. So it's a pretty interesting mechanic. And they also introduced the Dark Energy Shard. It's one of the new treasures under the creatures. Besides giving you an Energize and letting you draw a card to replace it, you also get to pull out a card from your discard pile of your hand to remove from the game. So finally, Ascension has the ultimate way to ramp up the way to thin out your deck and just start hitting with the hard-hitting heroes and the best of the best that you got. Yeah, I always liked that Energize mechanic. I didn't feel like they used it quite enough. So just looking at this, and we haven't played it yet, but just looking at like those more powerful cards, it's going to be cool. Yeah, the transformation cards, they have like a slightly different art style. It's the same artist as the previous sets. I know some people in the past have said they're turned off by the Ascension art. This is not going to win you over. It's still the same artist. But it's a different style to the cards. It has a slightly different feel. There's a little more flavor text, and it carries over through the transformation. So that's a nice little twist. And the one thing that's a slight disappointment is the Dark Energy Shard. It's the Energy Shard card. It's like somebody ran it through a Photoshop filter, and that was it. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble of redesigning a card, redesign the whole card. Yeah, I would have loved it to actually have like darkness streaming out of it and yeah. like black lightning or something. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a small expansion. If you just like playing Ascension as a casual and you just want to get just the expansion, you can play it as a two-player game. Or you can add it to your Rise of the Vigil or any other expansion. But it's made for Rise of the Vigil with those treasure cards. All right. Well, when are we going to get that out? Right? We need to play that. Yeah, we definitely got to try this soon. We haven't played Ascension in a while. I know. It's been a long time. Because that iPad app, man, it's so accessible. I know. I know. It's like you love it when they do that, but then you play the actual game less. Same thing happened to Summoner Wars. You yeah, know. you look over at your cards and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have to do that. Pass on that. I played it for eight hours last night. I, like, I got 700 games in in the last 24 hours. What have you done, pile of cards? <laughs> <laughs> I had to set you up and put you away. You can really blow through a game really quickly, too. And it's it's one of those, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a horrible thing, too. I played, I played a 120-point game in six minutes on the iPad. I was like, yeah, yeah, spend all, spend all, let's go. <laughs> The only thing is, with the, with the iPad, you don't get those gems. And those little crystals... Yeah, there's something tactile about it. You want to hold it. I know. They're just little pieces of plastic, and yet you see that pile in front of you, you're like, I need more. This is how I win. My shinies. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wins you over. Speaking about deck builders, another great deck builder that's coming out is DC Comics deck building game Heroes Unite. <sighs> so this is an expansion to the, to the DC deck building game. And you could almost call this... DC deck building the sidekicks because we're kind of looking at Nightwing, we're looking at Batgirl, Red Tornado, Black Canary, Hawkman, Shazam, and uh, you know, it's a little bit of your secondary characters in there. Did you say Red Tornado? Yes, I did. Who is Red Tornado? You don't know Red Tornado? (laughs) I've never heard of I I don't know Red Tornado either. (laughs) Please tell me he's a bonus card. Red Tornado has actually been around for quite some time. He's an android? And he can create red tornadoes, as his name kind of states. It's a little spot on. Yeah. It's, it's like your hero click doorman. Well, we also, <laughs> Can't like, the Flash create tornadoes? Because he can run really fast. And he's better. Yeah. And I know who the Flash is. Yeah. Look, man. They already had the big characters out. They're, they're, they're scraping ex- the bottom of the barrel. I was going to say, it's, it's an expansion. What do you want? Yeah, but the DC Universe can't be that thin. It has to have more than that. Batman, Superman, no one else. Let's just go into the, the third string. 
I mean, Nightwing has his his fans. Yeah, Nightwing's cool. Nightwing's cool. Uh, Shazam's pretty well known. He's been around for a long time. I mean, Booster Gold, eh, not so much. But yeah, I saw him in the cartoon once. He's somebody. I know who he is. (laughs) But once again, it's an expansion for the game. You can also play with these decks alone. It it definitely brings more to the game. If you haven't had a chance to play the DC deck building game before. It's a very simple deck building game. You get one of the superheroes to be your character. That superhero benefits off something in particular. It's pretty thematic. So Batman benefits off equipment. Superman benefits off superpowers. Green Lantern benefits off off of having a diversity of cards. So they all benefit pretty simple, pretty quick. You're buying from the main pile. Uh, There is a supervillain you have to defeat and you score points. So all of that goes in your discard pile, which eventually becomes your pile. You play that out. It's pretty much that. Pretty much that in a nutshell. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I haven't played it yet. What What would you say it's most like? Like Ascension style, Dominion style. Um, there's like a buy pile, like Ascension. It's also a little similar to the Penny Arcade deck builder. Yeah. Where this... you have the characters that make you stand out. It's It's fun and it's quick and it's easy. It's very easy to learn. The only weird thing that I don't like about it is when you want to buy a card, you use punch cards. So you want to buy Wonder Woman, you got to punch her. Yeah, like, exactly. punching times. is a commodity of or cur- something like that. <laughs> There's no actual yeah. currency in how the DC universe. Yeah, how much is that sandwich? That'll be three kicks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the game is actually pretty fun. It's also a simple deck builder. So if you got someone new to the genre, you can. This is a good one to break out. Like people know who Batman and Superman is, so that works well. Yeah, this is a Cryptic Zoic game, so that's why it's almost identical to the Penny Arcade game. And what's nice is their artwork is not terrible. Like, they don't do that, you know, the the grotesque (laughs) visage that they do in a few of their other games. But like Kim was saying, there's only one currency here. So it's not like Ascension where you have two different currencies. You don't have energy and and attack. It's just that one currency. Super simple. Super simple. Plays with a lot of people. It's a fun game. One thing I would love is, like, you mentioned the Green Lanterns. I would love it if they had it where there was, like, an expansion that had the eight rings. Yeah, we were talking about like that. that a lot. Everyone everyone had that same comment. This game would play excellent if they did all the different rings, all the different characters from And, that. like, they can put in, like, all those Darkest Night enemies where yeah. it's, like, the undead, you know, undead heroes the and black, the black yeah, rings. And everything. Yeah, that would Black be Lantern. Awesome. Absolutely. Perfect expansion right there, just Darkest Night. I yeah. don't know why they haven't done that. That's really kind of I'm, perplexing. I'm curious if maybe they're just trying to get more variety in the people, like, because that's such a specific storyline. Mm-hmm. But that would be great. I, I'm actually surprised this game isn't just pumping out expansions. But, I mean, it could be based on the market, or they just don't want to oversaturate and have people get tired of it so quick. Could be, yeah. I mean, they'll probably start building up, too, in the next couple of years, all the new DC movies they're working on. I would love to see a deck builder that works almost on that LCG format, where it's like, hey, here's a new hero, some new powers, new villain, new villain guys to fight, 15 bucks, add that to your current game. That would be, I would love that to would see That would be pretty awesome, yeah, because sometimes the pricing, and I don't know what the pricing is on this, but I know, like, Legendary... The base is expensive. The expansion's expensive. Any other expansions are gonna you're in for like a hundred bucks in those two. And there's tons of cards in there, so it's so hard to see it all and see how it mixes because you get 17 heroes and you're choosing four. You know, you got to do a lot of experimentation, see who works with who, which team is better. Yeah, and that's a lot deeper game, but it's also harder to you know evaluate in one play. Yeah. So I mean, if Fantasy Flight does want to do an LCG model on that, I'm available for consultation. They can contact us. <laughs> <laughs> they can always look at our Twitter and let us know. I'm willing to work with them. I got the ideas. 
Yeah, this game's going to set you back about $27. It plays separately. It integrates with the other expansion. I don't know why you wouldn't mix the expansions together, so you could kind of pick out a particular team. Definitely. But it's ripe for expansion. It's really easy to play. It's not your heavy think game. It's not your legendary where you have a lot of mechanics going on. It's just something simple and quick to play. Yeah. That game was definitely fun. My favorite was that Martian Manhunter card where he duplicates another uh, another character's power. That's, That's cool. awesome. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was like, they have my like little Twitch copy clone, whatever you want to call it, card from every other game series that's out. So I was happy once I saw that. So, so my acquisitions disorder was pretty light this week. I got the Gold Hard Control Pack for the Crossmaster Arena game. Gold Hard is a new sculpt that they have. He's a level six, who can only do four damage hit to other level six characters. Yeah, it's like, because he's like a god slayer or something like that, right? Like, he's Goltar the Immortal, I think. Yeah, his bond's pretty awesome. And they also had another Bill Tell in there, like, a level one Bill Tell. I'm like, why? Yeah, I know, it's, it's weird that they're already including people that was in the core set. Because for the price of those minis, you only get four in the pack, you want all new guys. You don't want to have someone that you already got in that core set you had to get to play the game anyway. Yeah, because other than Goltar and Bill Tell, there are two other characters but they're they're the same sculpts as the other characters but they're completely different they're different levels they look different it's just Bill Tell is Bill Tell yeah it's like uh, it's almost like the old Streets of Rage games or whatever where it's like <laughs> oh here's the same character we're just throwing on a different color palette new enemy and what so. was great was it was broken when we got it too we ordered oh the expansion offline. was broken? no Bill Tell is, was oh, off the, the little disc Wow, and this come out to like eight bucks a piece, like it's thirty two dollars yeah. for the expansion, right? Yeah, I want those hand delivered at that price. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it wasn't bad. Kim was able to fix it with just a little bit of the model glue that we use, but it was still disappointing that you know, like, for hey, it. here's a guy you already have. Ah, forget him. We'll just snap his legs and you'll be happy anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes Bill. <laughs> so we're giving you more of him. Yeah, but I'm glad that Kim got this one because we haven't played Crossmasters in a little while, so I'm looking forward to throwing that on the table again, trying out some of these new guys. Yeah, and if you want to know more about Crossmasters, we reviewed it in episode two, so you can always check out that. And we also have a video up. Yeah, the unboxing video where you can see Kim's glory days when she first received that outrageously huge box for such simple game. Yeah. <laughs> Eight little minis, a board, a couple of figures. Oh, let's just put it in a 9 by 9 box. Why not? <laughs> I have to warn everybody for seeing that video. It's my very first video I've ever done. I never did YouTube videos. So if I look like expressionless and not giving any emotion, I'm not a Cylon. It's just I don't know. I didn't know how to react at the time. Yeah, Kim had an aversion to YouTube ever since Tazon Day stole her original song. <laughs> so, you know. You brought her back. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's in it once again. <laughs> That's awesome. I still need to play that. You guys were playing like two inches from me the other day. You were showing Brian how to play. I was like, I still I have no idea what's going on, but it looks so fun. Well, you guys wanted to play Spirium. Ooh, Spirium. We got Spirium's nice... awesome. Spirium's awesome. Does it come with miniatures? Shh. Wait for the review. Yeah. No spoilers! <laughs> Save it, man! <laughs> Alright, so uh, one more thing on the acquisition disorder list is a, uh, a game we actually talked about a couple times on a couple of the early episodes, Nuroshima Hex. And it has the 3.0 edition out, which um, we might have mentioned before, but I know they've been working on for a while. And they premiered it at Gen Con, 
Um, and it's a mix of some new stuff and fixing some old stuff. Uh, basically, they've gone through and revamped a lot of it. There's new artwork. There are updates and corrections in the rule book. Um, it's supposed to be a lot easier to read for if you're just learning how to play. Um, there is a new fifth army included in the box, the Doomsday Machine. I have no idea what that does, but it sounds awesome. Yeah, I, I want to play now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually a new solo variant um, with just 55 cards and some puzzles, which sounds pretty cool. So you can learn how to play the game kind of on your own. Is like, that almost like those uh, that old thing that the Magic magazines used to have, where it's like, hey, this guy's down to five hit points. How can you kill him in one turn? Is it something like that, maybe? Or It kind of looks like it. They have like these cards, and I'm just looking at it here. They have cards uh, that show you how to set it up, and then you have to try to, you know, there's certain victory conditions solo-wise. You have to try to solve the puzzle, basically. Like, and take them out in one turn, or yeah. do it. Yeah, so it's almost, yeah, that's awesome. I love it when games offer something like that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, actually, because this is a perfect game for that. Uh, if you play the app on the on the iPad, you're just like, well, this could be cool solo. It's not solo on the app, but it could be. If they had, like, every week a new puzzle, that would be such a... Uh, even if you had to subscribe for that, that would be fun. That would be pretty fantastic, yeah. yeah. So there's that, and then there's a new couple of new three-player variants. Uh, deathmatch, deathmatch with scores, one player versus a team, uh, team match where one player plays two armies. So there's all these different variants they're throwing in. They're just like exploding the amount of things you can do with the game. And I'll be honest, I've only played it twice, three times at the table maybe, and then a few times on the iPad. So I don't, you know, I'm probably not at the point where I need all these variants, but they sound awesome. Yeah, and uh, one thing I actually wanted to also quick bring up was um, when, when I just mentioned those magic puzzles that used to be out, those are in the Xbox and iPad version of Magic 2014. Oh, where cool. there'll be those challenge puzzles and they just released a few new decks for expansion so if anyone has it on xbox ps3 their ipad whatnot but also recently theros had their pre-release at our local myriad games this weekend seeing those sets that you get with the new expansions looks awesome and they also have hero cards that every special tournament there'll be a hero you get that can give your side special bonuses from off field they're not actually people you can attack or permanents you can target so theros actually looks like something that might make me play a little magic again here and there like just sealed and just draft i'm not gonna have any cards in my house i know what that, that leads to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that looks really interesting and the set actually comes out this coming weekend so the release parties are going to be around by the time you hear this podcast you'll probably be unwrapping your packs your packs can't wait to see what you get at the release party you know you'll be checking out your new planeswalkers they finally added a whole bunch of new planeswalkers instead of just remaking the old ones and that greek and roman mythology looks awesome yeah i haven't wanted to play magic for a while i picked up some cards last year with the new block in 2012 the ravnica block yeah and it didn't wow me and the scene didn't wow me and i think it lasted like a month and then i put them in a box um this set looks amazing but I'm trying to stay away because I can't afford it. But, yeah, um, well, that's the, I fell off two sets ago at the Zendikar block. Uh -huh. And with everything that's coming out now, like that's why I want to kind of do sealed and draft where after I'm done, I can be like, hey, I got these cards. Who wants to buy them so I don't have to I don't have to view this as I spent money? You know? <laughs> yeah, just break it even. I have fun. We're done. Yeah, if, if I can escape only spending five bucks on that night, that'll be the best. Yeah, I'll be in with you on that because yeah. that, that sounds fun. <laughs> Um, so Nurishima Hex 3.0, it is out now. I saw it in the store the other day. It's forty nine ninety nine uh, retail. So that is um, pretty much just a complete revamp of the game, which is already an awesome game. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out.
So that's everything in our acquisition disorder this week. Uh, next up, we're going to take a look at some of the games uh, that hit our table this week. At the table this week. The game I pulled out this week is Shadow Hunters, which is a game that comes out a lot when we need something for a lot of people. Seven, eight. Um, we talked last week about Citadels, which is also really good for that many people. This is the other game we play when we need that, you know, we have that many people and need to play. Um, so Shadow Hunters is it's a hidden role game, and you are playing basically on teams against each other, but you don't necessarily know who's on your team, at least not right away. Um, so basically how it starts is at the beginning of the game, you uh, are given one of three faction cards. You're either a hunter, you're a shadow, or you're neutral. Um, and the objective of the game is for the shadows need to get rid of all the hunters, hunters need to get rid of all the shadows, and then each neutral character has their own unique win condition. So some of them, and they're all really random and different, and some of them are easier than others. Uh, one might be be the first one to die. Another one might be be the last one to die. Another one might be destroy everybody. Yeah, there's one I think it's like the person to your left wins or something like that, where it's very weird and unique. Yeah, it's very strange. It's not strange, but it, you don't see neutral characters win a lot. But it also makes it so there can be two winners sometimes. But yeah. they're they're a lot of fun. Like one of them, you have to die first, or yeah. be the last one standing. So it really does throw a wrench into not sure what you guys are playing. So. Yeah, and it's nice to go, oh, Kim, I'm attacking you. Hey, Anthony, I'm attacking you. And so you're t when every time somebody does that, they're like, all right, he's the neutral guy. So hey. it's actually a good fake tactic to get people off your back. Yeah, because you draw that attention. <laughs> so basically how it works is like this. You have a track. The board is very simple, but it's, um, it's in the middle of the table, and you have a track on the left that counts up on your hit points. So if you move up to two, that means you've taken two damage. Each card has a number of hit points. Um, when you reach that on the track, you die. And it actually is very helpful because on the board it'll say, uh, it'll have a letter next to a few of the numbers that'll correspond to the name on your card. So if there's an A, it could be Aaron or Alice or Anne, any character that starts with an A. Um, if there's a D, it could be Dave or Dog Man or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Dave Dogman, the Darkness Destroyer. <laughs> I yes. want him. I love that guy. <laughs> making new cards. So you, you work your way up the track. Uh, everybody has their token there. And you can then you can see how close everybody is and kind of decide who you're going to attack or who you're going to help based on who you think people are. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing about the game. You don't really know who anybody is, at least not right away. Um, every time you play, every time it's your turn, you're going to roll dice. And there are six locations on the board, um, each, each with a number on them, um, two numbers on them. And you can then move your piece to that location. If you roll the same number of the location you're already on, you re-roll. Uh, if you roll a seven, you get to choose where you go. And then each of these locations has a special ability or lets you draw a card. Uh, so there's green cards, white cards, and black cards. Uh, the green cards are usually things like you give them to somebody else and they have to do what the card says. And this is how you're going to figure out who people are, basically. Um, so the card might say, I bet you are a shadow. And then you give it to somebody and they read it, and it says, I bet you are a shadow. If you are, you lose two health, or you must give up a, you know, there, there's options on there, but it usually you, it'll show exactly what they need to do, and based on what action they take in response, uh, you'll learn something about them. So if you know they're then a shadow, then you know that person's a shadow, which is useful information. With the one exception of the unknown, which you could lie. 
Yes. And the unknown is, uh, it always comes out somehow and everybody accuses everybody of being the unknown and it can really throw a huge wrench into it, especially if, if you're, um, on that team with them. And so you you think you know who they are and you're attacking them. They're like, no, it's not me. But they were lying the whole time. Yeah. And what's cool is like, nobody knows what's on their team, like in werewolf or, um, you know, the resistance, you always know who's on your side. In Shadowhunters, you don't know who anyone is, so you have to figure out your allies too. So the unknown, he'll get a question like, oh, I bet you're a shadow, but he doesn't want to reveal himself in case that person's a hero. So until he knows he can trust you, he's not going to let on as to what he is. So that's what makes it a little interesting. Like You you feel like sometimes the unknown gives you the ultimate edge, but sometimes you're just the biggest target because not knowing who your friends are, you might be attacking legitimate allies and you find out five minutes too late. Yeah, it does really throw a big wrench into it. Um, so then you have the white cards, you have the black cards. The black cards are almost always attacks. Uh, sometimes there's equipment mixed in there, but those, a lot of those are attacks uh, where you can throw stuff against other people. Uh, some of them are equipment like guns or chainsaws that add to your attack. The white cards are more often equipment, but not always. Sometimes they're healing, sometimes they deal damage. Um, some of the cool equipment would be you know, a card that lets you steal all of somebody's items if you kill them um, whereas normally you take one uh, and so those cards you use them periodically throughout the game to help you figure out who people are and then to attack people um, to up your attack value at any point too if because each of the six slots on the board is broken up into uh, two squares if you are in the same um, plot basically with the uh, any other token you can attack them but of course the first round or two of the game you don't know who anybody is so attacking somebody is completely random um unless you think you like somebody has a tell basically which is usually what happens either someone's just like forget it i'm going to attack you or they think they see something in someone's eyes um which... and then there's definitely some cards that come into play so if you have the handgun you can shoot somebody from one of the other areas but not your own if you have the machine gun you can shoot everybody within your area so a lot of different options kind of pop up but it's definitely, what do you want to do? Do you want to kind of randomly hit people? Or do you want to kind of wait it out a little bit and see who should, you should go after? Yeah, and sometimes randomly hitting people can work out. But in my experience, most of the time it doesn't. Um, usually you just make yourself a target way too early. And everybody hits you even if they're on your team because you hit them first. Yeah, it's, the one thing I noticed with that game is uh, the more players, usually the sooner the wild attacks start happening. Because if you're playing four players, you get to get those green cards a little more frequently. You get to go, oh, you're on my team, you're not, whatever. In an eight or nine player, it's just after waiting ten minutes to go, people are like, all right, that's it, I'm just attacking you. you why, well, why are you hitting me? You took too long. Yeah, exactly. So it's just as good reason as any. So. Yeah. And then you know, people aren't necessarily paying as much attention. Plus, if you have seven players and you're like, okay, I played a green card, I know he's not a shadow. That's not a lot of information with six other players on, at the table. Yeah, and just because he's not a shadow doesn't mean he's a good guy. He can actually still be a neutral. Exactly. So unless you know for affirmative that somebody is something, uh, you're going to be doing a lot of guessing. And honestly, I don't keep very good track of these things. Like some people at the end are like, I knew all of you. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm still alive. That's how it's <laughs> and for some reason, Rob is always unknown. Yeah. Yeah, he gets to lie. And it's the last person you want lying because he's oh, like, yeah. he's, he's just so into the character already so it just messes with you he is unknown actually <laughs> yeah right he just comes into the game unknown 
but and basically at the end of the game the win condition is you know if you're hunters you kill the shadows if you're shadows you kill the hunters you can reveal yourself whenever you want really it's not recommended early but there are special uh, conditions on the card when you flip it over um, and they will be different for each one some of them might say when you reveal uh, do this one special effect or deals this damage to somebody and another one like the werewolf after you've revealed you can counter attack somebody every time they attack you so that one it's like it's not as bad to reveal early because especially if you know everybody knows who you are already um, because then you can get that extra damage and every time someone hits you yeah and sometimes you know like one of your guys has to take that hit where you need someone to reveal because when you see everyone zero in that guy it sticks them out as the opposing side so sometimes it's almost like a team sacrifice thing where you've got to throw someone under the bus to find out who the rest of the enemies are. So it's also a game you gotta you got to be happy with the team victory, not necessarily being one of the survivors at times. Yeah, yeah, because it is a team victory or team loss. Unless you're neutral, and then, it, you know, you do your own thing. <laughs> and then it may be either or. Yeah, yeah. Or you just realize you can't, like, you can't be the second one to die if two people are already dead, and you're like, ah, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> Chaotic neutral! <laughs> All right, so on my list, I'd say this is a strong play. Uh, I don't own it um, just because I don't have a lot of party games, just in general, those big party games. And I have Citadels. If I'm going to have that many people in the house, I'd probably whip that out. But I like Shadowhunters a lot. When it comes out, I'm perfectly happy to play it. It's quick. It's easy to learn. Uh, everybody has fun with it. And it doesn't, like a lot of those hidden rule-type games can make people a little more you know, angry towards each other if people start hitting each other. This one hasn't seemed in my experience to create that kind of animosity at least not yet um so I, i'd rate it to play it yeah um, i'm gonna go with the rating i used in the previous episodes where you should definitely have a friend that has this game yeah let me revise yes that yeah. one too <laughs> uh and if you don't have a friend that has this game make more friends you someone has to have it it's a it's a pretty fun game it's definitely something that's fun to break out every so often and it does mix up the genre there's not too many games like shadow hunter there's a few hidden roll games few like these like small like little combat games but it has a nice mix of all those elements yeah it plays a little longer than a lot of the other hidden role games too so it's more substantial it's not super quick like uh, resistance or other games like that yeah we should also mention too with this game that there is an expansion that has now been boxed in with the regular game so there's additional role cards a lot more neutrals than before um i could be that friend that buys this game I def this game is definitely a play. Um, if I did find this game coming out, probably more often I would actually buy this game. It's definitely addictive. It's something that you see a lot of different tables playing. So it kind of crosses a lot of different gamer genres. You have the mini games players playing it. You have the magic players playing it. And obviously the board gamers are playing it all the time too. So definitely something you should definitely pick up. Okay, guys, don't hate me. Um... I would have to say, if you like Resistance and Werewolf, it's a definite play it and possibly must buy. But me personally, I'm going to say dodge it because the theme of it doesn't really get to me and the gameplay just seems kind of dull. Yeah, I, I do remember one game we played. You actually got taken out a little early and being the only person that's dead and then the game taking another hour... <laughs> It's yeah. true. It's a little... That has happened to me, too. Off. Yeah, like, if you didn't have your DS that day, I think uh, it could have been really ugly. Yeah. yeah. Player elimination is always hard. Any game with player elimination, and you get... You know, you're just sitting there for an hour. Because it can go long. 
And, uh, and that's one of the reasons that I like the Werewolf Inquisition, because there is no player elimination in this variant of Werewolf. The way that Inquisition works is you actually have a town set up and then citizen cards that are face down. Each citizen corresponds to a building, and this is actually almost like a werewolf with role selection. So in the beginning, you do the usual shuffle up and deal to find out who is a werewolf, and after you get your hidden role, you're going to get voting cubes. The way that the day works is you're going to choose one of the buildings to operate. You're basically that person. So the guardsman will be able to cover another card so it can't be voted on and the troublemaker can shuffle up a pile of the cards so if you did know who somebody was now you don't the seer in this variant gets to look at one of the face down village cards and then places it face down sideways no one else can seer that card so if you have the like assistant seer who for a voting cube you get to look at somebody you can't double check on the seer so you still wonder if the seer is the werewolf, which is kind of weird if you're used to werewolf and you always think that's the safe bet. So at the end of the day, when everyone's selected their roles, everyone will be taking each turn putting down a voting cube on a card that they think is a werewolf. There will be four werewolves hidden around in the town piles. So it's a little different. You're still voting blind in the beginning, but with a little bit of teamwork and a little bit of guesswork, you can start to route out the werewolves. At the end of the day, after the, you know, the village execution takes place, the werewolves get to attack. And the way this is done is the village leader is going to choose one t column of the townspeople cards. He's going to take it and close his eyes, and then if he's the werewolf, choose who he wants to die and put them on the bottom. When the cards are passed to the next player, they, if they're a villager, they just make shuffling sounds. But if you're a werewolf, you too can choose who you want to die on the bottom. The next day, the cards get columned out again, and that bottom card is turned face up. That person is now killed. And the other thing that does mix up the game a little bit is every time a werewolf is hit, you shuffle up the town village and redeal them out. So if you knew where two werewolves were, you now lost track of one of them. So as the humans, you do got to trust each other. But what's nice is with no player elimination in a game, take for example, say Chris was the werewolf. And the person sitting to his left was also a werewolf. Why? Why would you bring that up? I'm just giving <laughs> hypotheticals. Oh, okay. <laughs> and say Chris took the first player marker, and then that night murdered the village elder, so the first player marker could never leave him. He was blatant about his werewolfism. <laughs> and it was still hard to stop him. Your discrimination is rampant there. <laughs> Why? Yeah, your murder was rampant in that game. That was a bit of a problem. And the worst thing in the world is we thought we had him, and Tiffany was sitting to his side. She was the person to place the last vote. And we're like, we got him, we got him. And she goes, do we? Throws a cube on a random square. Flips over her card thinking it's the end of the game to show it's time you're a werewolf. And like, she was devastated. She was like, oh, no, 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 I did it too early. And Chris was like, yeah, don't worry, we got this. <laughs> and it was horrible. Like, it was, we were fighting hard, but, you know, but again, planning out in advance. Because the goal is, as the werewolves, if the people know you're a werewolf, it's not game over. It's just they know not to vote for anything you do or trust you. Mm -hmm. So it's a game that it does add a nice twist to that old werewolf mechanic. Was that Frank that was playing with us? And you and Frank kind of knew that I was a werewolf really early on. 
You're oh, like, yeah. yeah, it's a werewolf. I'm like, no, I'm okay. Your nonchalant <laughs> attitude towards finding out who the werewolf was is what told me you were a werewolf. Also, the, the fact is when you're supposed to pass around the cards of the villagers you're supposed to kill that night, you're supposed to kind of fake shuffle the cards. And I was like, yeah, what's, what's the point? Yeah, I remember actually hearing you saying, going, yeah, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> bad second. That's right. It's a good day to be a bad guy. <laughs> so since you were part of the winning forces, what did you think of this game, Chris? Uh, it's definitely a play. It's it's interactive. It has a lot of dimensions to it. You don't get knocked out, as you said, what you do for uh, Shadowhunters. And it has a, a lot of different strategies you can kind of put into place, especially if you get to be werewolf. It's not just randomly killing off a character. You're actually... There were some tense moments where... I had an idea of where the other werewolf card was, and nobody else did, so you guys are all trying to take out certain players, and I'm trying to manipulate you and try to move things around, <laughs> so it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I have to say this is a definitely a must-play. I enjoyed it, and it's a really good party game for everybody. I haven't played it yet, so I'd like to play it. Oh. That's my rating. I'll play it when it comes out. Well, do, from our our talk, do you, you want to play it? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would say well, I love Werewolf. I love all the hidden role games, anyways, and I just like the idea of not being eliminated in a game like that. Yeah, what's nice is it's like four to eight players instead of the eight plus. Yeah. And one of the things that's nice is with the village roles, there's actually a whole bunch of different ones, so you won't be using all of them in each game. So just like the hunter has the expansions where there's different roles with different abilities, those same character styles are in this game, and they all won't occupy the village. There's always going to be the four werewolves that have little village huts. And then there's actually a number system on the cards where the werewolves are worth 24 points. And you get to choose 24 points worth of villagers to balance out, to make the, the game fair. And they actually give you in the guidelines, hey, if the people are dying too often, give the villagers more points. If the werewolves are getting wiped out all the time, give the villagers less points. So it has a nice curve system too to figure out what's a good game to play. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and the good thing is, if you're waiting for that friend that has this in their collection, I'm that friend! I have it in my collection! Alright! So, yeah, for me it was a must-buy. I, I love the werewolf, and it was a nice variant to give that non... Okay, sit in the corner, wait 40 minutes, watch how you died. So, I like that part. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to try it out next time you bring it. So, this week we played Mage Wars, me and Anthony, and I did a quick little game with Dan, too. Um, it was pretty good. It's kind of like if you like Summoner Wars and Magic the Gathering. It's a, it's a really... Honestly, it's a complicated game. But when we read through the rules a couple of times over, by like the end of the game, when I died and Anthony won, um, it, it was like, okay, yeah, now I got this. Now I know how to play. But we haven't played again since, and I would like to play it again. Yeah, we played, like, what was the Apprentice match? Yeah, you use, it? it's like a smaller spell book, so you get less choices, mm -hmm. and a half board. Yeah, so you don't have to trudge around the whole way. Yeah, and it still took us an hour, and I think 45 minutes of that, we're like, wait, what's next? <laughs> so, there's a lot going on. I mean, the back of the book has all the, the stages, and, it's, you know, there's, like, six stages, and two of the stages are broken down into mini stages. And, and what's good is, um, unlike some games where you have multiple people out on the field... If you have three people out, and the other person has two people out, what you do is you use one person as an action, and then the opponent does one person, and then you do your next person, so it's like it goes back and forth. 
which I think is really cool. That way you don't have that those players be like on their phones or like you know going talking to somebody else. You have to be involved in the game. Yeah, it's very back and forth, and what's also interesting is too, it's like uh, you don't want to get dogpiled because you could end up having the numbers game run on you. So if you don't go with any creatures and they have five. They'll take your their action, you'll take yours, they'll take their action, and you have nothing left. So then they'll take theirs, and they'll take theirs, and they'll take theirs. Plus, um, just always remember, uh, equipped armor, because that's just the biggest thing I've never done. I would just constantly put out creatures, and they would just keep getting destroyed. And my mage would keep getting hit, and as my health meter is going down, I think Dan was just like, why didn't you bring out armor? Yeah, why like, didn't you? You know you have healing spells. You're a cleric. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to bring out those creatures because, like, oh, look, I can send out a unicorn. That's awesome. <laughs> I was saving up my mana for that. And then I was like, huh, I have three hit points left. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, the game it went kind of slow at first, and then towards the end, it was, you know, lots of burning. Like, I was just like, spell, 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 done. Yeah. it's uh, That warlock is pretty vicious with the fire elementals and all that. Um, the one thing that, like we mentioned before, the Apprentice Spellbooks, what's nice about this game is, unlike a lot of the other card-based games where you're hoping to draw the card you need, you're making your spellbook, and every turn you're choosing two spells that you're going to be having access to that turn. So it's a game of more choices than a lot of the other games out there. Like Summoner Wars, I lo- don't get me wrong, I love me Summoner Wars. But Summoner Wars, you're sometimes burning through your deck hoping to get to that champion. And like we talked about Magic before, Please, please let me draw my planeswalker. One more. Ah, oh, no planeswalker. This game, you need that angel. You have it in your book, and if you can't cast it because you didn't do your mana properly or you're in a bad spot, that was more by decisions made as opposed to you just didn't get that lucky draw. Now that being said, there is dice involved in the combat, so you could roll six dice and go, hey, uh, two points, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, and there's the whole like piercing damage, so maybe they even block it. Yeah, if if you're used to the Game of Thrones card game or the Magic card game, there's a lot of keywords in this game. So the good news Ooh, is yeah. you can get the hang of it. You'll probably design your, you know, your spellbook knowing those keywords. But there is a lot, like Kim was saying, our game. What does Aegis mean? What does piercing mean? Okay, uh, I gotta look up this because it says uh, frostbite minus two. I don't know what that means. So there is a codex at the back, which does help out. Yes, I would have to say this is a, a definitely play it. If you're into those Magic the Gathering, Summon the War type of games. If you're not, I would kind of stay away from this because with games like Magic the Gathering, it could get really competitive. And you just, you, you get that tight feeling that, you know, <laughs> why am I playing this game? I'm here to enjoy myself. But yet, I'm getting the... The one thing that you know for a fact is, since this is a competitive game, you get some of those Magic players in there, they made that ultimate spellbook that they found online, or they looked up a new strategy that they found out, like, won this tournament in Massachusetts six hours ago. So they bring that spellbook to you, and you know, you're all happy saying, I want to play my unicorn! Look at my angel! And they go, oh, that's cute. Fire blast, wall of fire, teleport you back behind your line, you're burning to death, what are you going to do now? Nine damage per turn. You know, and you're like, but, but I, I only have 20 hit points. I don't. Why is this happening? Uh, I'll have to say this is a definitely must-play. 
but people who don't like the Magic the Gathering game, like for their competitiveness, I would just stay away from it. Yeah, I mean, I played it the, uh, I've only played it the one time, it was the beginner game, and, you know, Chris and I had this, we're, we're on tape, having been very much against the existence of this game in our group's collection, but, but, but. I believe you vehemently denied ever even wanting to play it, touching it, you guys were cursing me for hours for ever purchasing it, but I mean, you know, it's water under the bridge. Yeah, just a little bit. I played it. Yeah, I played I mean, it. You're like, fun, you want right? to play it? And I was like, yeah, sure. It, it is a fun game. I, I still don't know that if I would play it frequently. Um, the length bothers me. I know that like we played the intro game as an hour. I know the game usually takes a couple hours. For a two-player game, that's a little standoffish to me. The time to build the spell book. Um, now, I mean, I'll admit I used to like building decks with Magic back in the day, but that was one of the things that kind of got under my skin when I quit playing Magic. Is I just didn't have the time for that. So the thought of building multiple spell books, I'm like, I don't know, time for that. But all that said, if, say, we go to the store and Dan has all of the spell books already set up and he's like, here's a spell book, let's play, and I already know the rules and we're going to play for an hour and a half, I'd probably play it. Yeah, it's like, it's something where I can see we can set up some basic spell books and then just swap out a few cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're just playing casual with each other, we can even give it, like, they have a, a point rule for making your spell book 120 points, and then based on who you are is which type of spells cost how much. So we can always just be like, oh, let's just do 150 because I like to put in these things too. Sure. Um, the one thing about the game is there is tournaments, there is competitive levels. So if you're more into casual playing, like when we play this game, I like to think that, you know, I am that warlock where it's, you know, like almost like a role-playing experience where like I'm equipping the sword forged in like demon blood and casting these hexes on your guys, bringing them down to reanimate them as like my own minions. Not going, well, this is a 9 damage dice for 7 mana versus a 12 damage dice for 17 mana, and then the third turn of the game, like, I don't like those super number crunchy ratios. And the fact that you're rolling dice, you know, then people get quick to blame, like, oh, well, you only won because of the dice rolls. If I, if I, you know, if I was getting nothing but piercing twos and critical twos, I could have just destroyed you too. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I like it to be more fun. Uh, that being said, anyone that likes you know on a competitive level, this game has it for you. So, if you're looking for something to play competitive that's cheaper than Magic, by leaps and bounds. Significantly so. Yeah, and also they got another expansion coming out very soon, the Necromancer vs Druid. So once they said Necromancer, that's when I knew I had to play this game. <laughs> so for me, I mean, I'm very glad I bought it. There's a you get a lot in the box, a lot of components. And the board, the board looks a little flat, but it's also, it fits thematically, like there's dried blood, there's like chalked in symbols around, like it, it looks like mages came here to die. So it's pretty fun. Uh, for me, like I said, it was a must buy just because I love that fantasy element and I do like the, the thematic of opening a spell book, pulling out my spells, placing them down, you're wondering what I'm going to do. You know, it, it feels like, it feels like I'm there. I think the concern Anthony and I had was that it did seem like a very addictive game. I know a number of our players at the store were really very much into it. They they would open the game. It would take the entire night. They would play multiple rounds. It seems like something that if this is the game for you, by all means, jump right into this. This is something that's really going to be a big love for you. Obviously, it has some of the summer war, summer war mechanics. It definitely has a magic feel to it, building the decks, putting your cards out there. For me, it still seems a little bit plain. The board, at least from what you get to play... You have these kind of little cylinders. 
the board has a couple of spots where you play cards, but it doesn't seem very interactive or thematic. I know that most of the fun and most of the color comes into the spell decks. So I've seen at least some of the cards. The artwork looks really good. So I could see really getting into building a deck and building up a character that really kind of identifies with you. I know recently they came out with an expansion, right? There's the Druid and the... Yeah, Druid and Necromancer is on its way, and they also have the Force Master versus Warlord. Force Master almost plays, like, a little bit Jedi-like, so you're Star Wars friends, you're like, hey, hey, this is the one for you. <laughs> Just a little subtle with Force Master. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little Jedi-like. <laughs> well, they didn't call it the Force Master. I guess that <laughs> separates it a little. Legally distinct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... I'm going to still stick with my dodge until Dan wrestles me down and, and shoves a book in my face, and then maybe I'll be so enticed by the cards that I might actually have to sit down and play this. But uh, until then, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the board and going, eh. So. I think once you find out that it's another world that you can just crush people and outwit them just a little bit, you just give them that teaser and go, oh, oh, you got me. Oh, you're dead. But you came close. I think that part you're going to like. <laughs> yeah, it's a little challenging when you play, like Kim said, those two-player games that are really kind of very competitive, where you're just kind of destroying the other person. Uh, may not have that general happy, fun, interesting, learning something, gaining something. Yeah. Kind of more of like, I crush you and beneath my feet. And yeah, well, I noticed you had no problem when I was using those cave goblins when we were playing Summoner Wars. That's why I figured you might like that same feel in this. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the Jungle Hills, man. Like, oh, so, was that your... Oh, he's dead. Your guy's dead now. That's mine. <laughs> okay, and our final game that's been hitting our table this week has been San Juan. If you ever had a chance to play the classic Puerto Rico, you'll be pretty familiar with San Juan. Now, San Juan is a very simple card game. You have about 110 cards in the deck. And they consist mainly of production building. So you have your indigo, your sugar, tobacco, coffee, and silver. Now these cards are what help you generate resources throughout the game. You also have violet cards, which are building cards that give you special abilities throughout the game as well. These cards come in all different flavors from giving you a bonus point to actually interacting with the production buildings at the end of the game. So there's a lot of diversity, a lot of ways to win at this game, and it's honestly a really simple, fun game. Now, this is going to be a basic kind of action selection game because there's only a certain number of roles, and each turn, each player selects a role. Once that role is selected, everyone will do that action. Now, what's a little bit different here is that the person who selects the role gets an extra benefit from that role right at the start and then everyone kind of follows through with just a really basic action so for example you have the builder the builder allows if you play the builder you're allowed to build a building for one less card now I should mention that cards are used as buildings but they're also used as currency so it has a double mechanic there. Yeah, like you're discarding from your hand to pay off for what you want. Yeah, so if the building costs three, you must discard three cards in order to build. Now, as I said, if you have the builder card, it's only going to cost you two cards to build that. Now, what, what happens after that is going in order, everyone is able to now build a building, but at the full cost. Now, you also have other things such as the producer, 
And I talked a little bit earlier how you have these production cards. Well, each of the production cards has a different value. So the violet is obviously just one, it's pretty cheap. And at the end you have silver. So when you're producing, you'll be able to place a number of cards underneath that production card, which then later, if somebody plays the trader card, you'll flip over a little stick that will actually tell you the value of those goods that turn. And you can trade those cards in for multiple of cards coming back to you. Yeah, which is nice because it's also like a changing market. So I like the fact that it's not, oh, I know this is going to be worth two every turn. It's, it gives you those variables where you could get a little luckier. Yeah, it's very thematic. If you've ever played Puerto Rico, it plays very much like that as well. So there's also the counselor that lets you pick cards, just cards from the deck, and the prospector, which gives just the person who selected one additional card. It's really light, really fun. It seems a little daunting at first because there's a lot of cards in the deck, but it's really easily explainable. The artwork is good. A lot of paths to victory. A lot of additional ways to score victory points towards the end. Dan, you played it. How'd, how'd you feel? Uh, I mean, I absolutely love this game. I heard about it for ages. Everyone's like, you gotta play, you gotta play. And once I touched this game, I fell in love with it. The downside is now it's incredibly hard to find because it's out of production. Yeah, it's bad timing. Yeah, absolutely. But it is available for the iPad, so, you know, take good with the bad. Um, that being said, tonight I'm going to be buying it for the iPad. That will hold me over. I think I'm going to still buy the physical copy. Because this was a really fun game to get around the table. It's something you can break out, like, on a couple's night or something. Because so, it's very easy to teach, very fun. And even if you don't win, you still feel like you were interacting. Like, oh, I'm... Like, producing a couple of sugar things over here. I got this. Oh, I put the statue up. That should get me some points. So, and that's the other thing that I like, too. We found in our game, we played with uh, two of our friends, Denise and Nelson. And having never played the game, Kim actually tied for first place. And even third and fourth, we were only a couple points behind. So it was still a close game, even with that wide range of skill level. So I liked it a lot. So I would say it's a definite must-buy. Yeah, I think I heard about it first uh, when I was trying to find good two-player games, and Chris recommended it. Um, and then I think I played with you and a few of our friends at Myriad. Um, this game was great. I, was, I know, I mean, I knew it was good because I played with it a little bit on the iPad and you showed it to me, but it's just the tempo of it, the speed of it, the number of different ways you can play, the interaction between players, the the range of different options you have it's it's just a perfect mix of everything and not a lot of games scale well to two players which is something i'm always trying to find um and it definitely seems like it would do that pretty well too i'm in the same boat of course it's out of print and i can't find it so i don't actually own a copy but when it is available when i can find one that's not super overpriced i will buy it uh, i would say it's um definitely a must play and like everyone said you know if it's out of print but it's good that they have the iPad version, so you can get a taste of it. And hopefully, because this happened with Poison also, it was out of print, we were able to snag one copy. If there's enough demand for it, hopefully it'll come back in. But we'll have to see, so I'd say this is a must-play. Absolutely, this game has so much different depth to it as far as how to play, what the best path to victory is. You have to kind of keep track of what everyone else is playing. You could play heavily production, you could play heavily violet, you can kind of mix things up. I have this for the, the iPad and I really enjoy it. It plays very quickly. It's a little hard to find players kind of to jump in for a four player game because the game plays between two and four. 
But this is definitely a great game to kind of pass around the table. It's a simple deck card, so the iPad plays great with it. And uh, unfortunately, since this is out of print, it's a little bit hard to find. But you know what? If you can't find this online, it's definitely a good time to visit your local game store because sometimes those games are not listed online, but they might have a copy on the shelf that's just sitting there waiting for you. So definitely be sure to check out your brick-and-mortar store because you'll definitely find something new there. Yeah, Marion had it until, I think, three days ago. Yeah, they had it until an hour before I went to buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Brian just swooped in and stole it from my hands with his greedy little talons. <laughs> I know I picked up uh, Coliseum from the game room in New Jersey, and that game has been out of print for quite some time, and we were just walking around like, you know what, I really would like to have that game. we, we got to go there. They, they should have it. Yes, they, they might everything. have it. Absolutely. Oh want to go, want to go, want to go. <laughs> <laughs> road trip. Yeah. I, oh, my God. we got to do a road trip again because now I want this game so bad. I didn't even think of that. I want it. <laughs> At least that was store was pretty close. Right? That yeah. was in the mall. Yes. The Woodbridge Plaza. Yep. So, 15 minutes. Like, Dan, get back here. <laughs> Where's Dan going? We still have a podcast to do. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's everything that hit our table this week. Next up, we're going to talk about Spirium, a brand new game that we've been playing a little bit lately, and uh, we're going to do a full review of that. So today we're going to take a look at Spirum. No, it's Spirium. Yeah, all right, whatever, Spirium. And that's from As- Osmosis Games? Asmodee. Look, I never learned to read, all right? Why don't you just do it for a change? <laughs> all right, so our feature review is Spirium. It is uh, from Asmodee Games, and it is by William Adia. That's the designer. Um, and we picked this up a couple weeks ago, and we've been playing it quite a bit. Um, and we just want to run through it because uh, it's, is a, it's very unique in a lot of ways, but it's also very familiar in some others. So the best way to describe this game is kind of... Um, it's a worker placement, first off, but it uses some familiar elements. Um, we, we like to call it the Seven Wonders of Cadwallon, and for good reason, because it kind of has similar elements to both games. Um, instead of running through and saying what's like what, we're just gonna, I'm just going to run through and tell you how it works, though. So basically, there is a board, and on the board is almost all the information you need for the game. Um, at the top of the board, there are two stages. Stage one will start the game, and then when you switch to stage two, you actually change which actions you can take. Uh, you start the game with three meeples, uh, two spirium, which is a resource uh, unique to the game, and eight pounds, which is your money. This does take place in Victorian England, so all the money is in pounds. You're going to, every turn, there are going to be nine cards on the board. This is called the market, and you're going to place meeples between two of the cards. And where you put the meeples basically decides which cards you're going to have access to uh, down the line. So if you want a specific card, say a building that increases your residence track, you need to make sure you have a meeple next to that card for later. Um, during stage one, you can place meeples, you can play on an event card, and there's an event card on the bottom of the board. Um, there's a unique event for every uh, round, of which there are six, and they're all face up. So you can actually see what the current event is, and you can see what the next one is going to be. You. So you have those two things to choose from in stage one. At any time, you can choose to move to stage two. Um, every player can choose when they want to go to stage two. You do not even have to place all of your meeples on the board to do it. So if there is one particular building you really want to buy, you can move to stage two um, immediately and buy that building. But then you can no longer place meeples on the table. 
So if you had two meeples left, and you move to stage two, and there's nothing you can do with those meeples, then your turn will be done early. Um, there are many uh, components to the game in terms of how you're going to get victory points, uh, how you get Spirium, how you get money. Um, the Every turn you uh, move up a residence track based on um, which residence you buy. There are cards that allow you to get more residence. And then you can uh, move up the track. You start at two, and at the beginning of the game, um, everybody's in the same place. Then it goes to three, four, five, and seven. And those numbers refer to the amount of pounds you get at the beginning of the turn, but also the maximum number of buildings that you can build uh, throughout the game. So if you don't move up the track, not only do you get less money, but you can't build as many buildings. So it actually gets very hard towards the end of the game to get a whole lot done if you haven't used that. Uh, there are start cards for every player, so you have a quick reference of what you need to do. There are event cards. Again, there's seven of them. You shuffle them before the game, and they come out in random order. There are technique cards. And the technique cards each do something very different. Um, usually there's two effects. One will is something you can do immediately, and you'll turn the card sideways, activating the card to use it. You can only do that once per round. And then the other is the end of game effect, and they're all related to victory points. So some will give you victory points for money, some will give you victory points for Spirium, both of which are worth nothing normally. Uh, some will give you victory points for the number of buildings you have, some for the number of meeples, uh, there are seven of them in a total, and uh, they come out throughout the game, so you can pick them up as you go. There are also character cards. These cannot be removed from the board. They uh, have certain effects, such as spend a Spirium, get three victory points, or just get two Spirium. There are uh, usually a few on the board at any time, and they can be used multiple times by multiple people. And then finally, there are building cards, and the buildings can be purchased. They have a purchase cost, in the top right corner. Most of them are also worth a certain number of victory points, so you can pick up some higher point buildings, but you can also get ones that allow you to produce more Spirium, or increase your residence track, or get new meeples. Um, there are a lot of different ways to play the cards, but they all have very unique values. Uh, there are also building slots next to your card that you fill in as you go, and the building slots cost money. So the first one is free, but then the second one costs one pound. The third building slot costs two pounds, and so forth and so on. So by the time you get to the fifth or sixth slot, you're paying six pounds just to build the building, in addition to the cost of the building itself, and the cost you pay for any workers adjacent to that building when you buy it, which is another kink that they throw in there just to make sure that um, people uh, pay attention to who is where on the board. So, I think I got everything in there. Kim, did I miss anything? Well, when you're building, when you're building, buying buildings, they have the pounds on the right side, how much it is, and on the left side is the victory points. So on the score tracker, when you buy it, you don't move the victory points until the very end of the game, but there are cards that have blue little discs, and it's there's no number on them and the disc can range from one to three and it's placed randomly so when the card is put out you put the disc on it and if you buy that building with that disc on it you get that many victory points when you buy it which I think that's very cool and like you said uh, it's like a little bit of that Gilda Catawan feel instead of 
placing just one in a boulevard, you can place as many as you want. And that actually gets kind of nice when you're playing five a five-player game. So you can kind of lock down on a card if you have the money. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and one cool thing too is that um, basically every resource is kind of hard to get, but equally so, so you're not going to be chasing any one resource. Um, if you need Spirium, there's cards that produce it. If you need money, you can remove a meeple from the board and just take money based on how many workers are adjacent to that card. So if everybody's stacked up on one card that's really awesome, so there's like eight meeples adjacent to it, uh, and you pull yours up, you get seven pounds. So you can replenish your money pretty quickly. It does use up your turn, then you can't buy a card or take an effect with that, but the money that you get out of it can significantly improve your odds of getting the next building. You know, I have to say, though, I think it's kind of hard to get money. I don't know how you guys feel since you've all played it, but I found, like, getting money to buy buildings, it's it's a little rough, I'd have to say, especially getting the resident tracker to go up. Finding those buildings and getting the, uh, acquiring them, I don't know. It seems a little tricky to me. What do you guys think? Well, it is difficult, depending on what kind of strategy you go for. Obviously, you have the opportunity to place your meeples in such a way that when you pick one up, you'll benefit by all the other meeples to gain coins. But it is a strategy, and if you're buying buildings early, you're not going to have coins for later on. But there's also the, the uh, residence track, so if you can move up that pretty quickly, you'll get a bonus coins each turn. So it is challenging, but and it also depends on the action cards. I had, I had the action card where when you uh, pulled up your meeple, and got the coins, you also got two additional coins. So that added up pretty quickly, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, I gotta say, without a doubt, this is probably one of my new favorite worker placement games. This game combines everything I love of Guilds of Cadvalon, and like you were saying, it is kind of like the Seven Wonders of Cadvalon. With the strategies, I love the fact that you can just create your own engine and be in your own world. Yeah, that's and, so cool. And that's what you did that last game. You just had, you only placed two guys on the board, and then you just jumped over to phase two, and you were just placing on all your own factories. You're producing Spirium, processing it, getting victory points left and right. You were just blowing past us on that track, and it was awesome. Yeah, I had four cards. I only built four buildings, and they were worth, I think, a grand total of six or seven points. Contrast that with Kim, who I think had 35 points. In yeah, buildings. at the end of the game, she ranked in 45 points. That was insane. <laughs> I was, I, I still didn't win, though, so I, I kind of see that as a loss. But I don't know. That's just me. But even then, like... You came so close. You had, The only thing you needed was one factory to boost Spirium. If you had that, you could have been pumping out more and more points. The only thing that I know, like, I, w I wanted to save money for when the C cards come out. Because the, there's three different types of cards. The A, B, and C cards. With the A cards, you get three turns. B cards, you get two. And the C, you get one. So overall, there's six turns in the game. The A cards are cheap. They're like twos, threes. Yeah, and it's like you can use a worker to get just three victory points or two victory points. Exactly. You know, like low low yield, low cost. Yeah, a lot of them are resource-based, like new meeple, new, move up the residence track. I think one of the first ones I bought was just produce Asperium. Yeah. So. And with the C cards, I think the, a really good strategy is in the B phase, kind of get as much money as you can. So that way, when the C cards come out, they're expensive. You get from 12, 9, 6 victory points. 
Yeah. And they're like cost like ten or eight. Eight yeah, they are they are expensive buildings, and they don't yield anything. So all you have to do is buy them. You don't actually need workers to activate them. And uh, I like that these are at the end of the game, where it's just your last ditch effort to just rack up on a few higher point cards. I just have to say though, it is a five player game. You can do two two to five, but I've played a two player game twice. I was not happy with it. Yeah, two player is terrible in this game. It's really the game is the game is so fun, but. The problem is you're very rarely in a spot where you can get a lot of money because you'll put your meeple here, and if the other player doesn't want them, like if he's not interested in those buildings, they'll just be on the other side of the board. So you're almost playing two separate games. <laughs> exactly, and then when you when you see somebody going for a building, if it's only a two-player game, you kind of feel bad because it's like, well, I just don't want to crowd around him because then just after a while it just builds up. Yeah, and I mean, especially with only the three meeples in the beginning... You're never going to get extra cash unless you lift off of one of your own meeples, and it's like, I get $2. <laughs> it's yeah, very, that's a problem, yeah. Yeah, but... I, every time I play, it's been four or five. That's that's what makes it so good. This, and it's so fast concerning the number of players because it's a very quick game, and if you're not paying attention, you could get hit bad later on. So it is a game that requires attention, but it's moving fast, and that's something I really appreciate, too. I actually noticed that it also has that similar theme of San Juan, where you're buying buildings and you get victory points off those buildings. Yeah, and it's like that final scoring phase. So, And, I mean, like I said, th that's the other thing I love about this game, too. There's just so many ways to score. You can end up using the event card and buy some victory points or trade in resources for victory points. Your buildings can rack you a net ton. The techniques can build a lot. So let me ask you guys something now. What do you think of all the components? Uh, you know, coming off, we reviewed nothing personal last week. And so, probably the best components I've seen in a game in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, this game has nice cards. Um, they're decent quality. They're not. Yeah, they're pretty sturdy. Yeah. The Spirium is awesome. Little green chips. I can yeah, see like using that. those in other things. It's just like uh, in Ascension. Yeah, yeah like green this, Ascension gems awesome. are the best. Yeah, those are pretty fantastic. When we opened that up, I was pretty pleased to see that. Mm -hmm. um, everything else, those cardboard. <laughs> you have cardboard coins. You have cardboard. Uh, those little blue tokens the meeples are just plain normal looking small meeples except for my cripple meeple when the, <laughs> when the game arrived i had a meeple that was missing half a leg yeah but, when uh, i tried yeah. to uh perform surgery on it uh i just made it worse yeah things went from bad to worse <laughs> now he needs a wheelchair i'm thinking of calling it the doctor house meeple <laughs> and i think that's the biggest problem with the game i think anthony's being way too kind the components <laughs> are quite poor whoa whoa oh, whoa whoa yeah what's oh, going yeah. on whoa whoa all right, we've seen Ascension gems. This is not Ascension quality gems. These are no, quite they're gems. No, they're cut the same. They're not um, white. They're not. Th what about the big red ones? Those are five pointers. You don't need that yeah, for this well, game. You, these are kind of tiny. They kind of disappear. Look, I don't know about you, but when I when I mine my Spirium, <laughs> it's bigger than this. You clearly have small. So go spirium. buy some jade crystals or something, man. You can <laughs> Children can't handle the heavy Spirium. They what need light weight. Child labor. I know this game has a Dickens feel to it, but seriously. I don't know. I, I think uh, you're warning of components. <laughs> I All mean, right. for the price tag of the game, it's I'm, only... Look, look. That's a big thing. I'm going to agree you, with you on that, because the price is not... You look at all the stuff that's going on here, and you think, okay, it's a forty or fifty dollar game. It's not. It's thirty or thirty five, right? Yeah, and that's MSRP. You go online, you're going to find it a little cheaper. Look, these crystals are unattainium. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we say they're unobtainium, you're going to give it a little bit of a better rating, man. 
This game is awesome. It's unattainable. (laughs) But when we were playing, Chris was... When we had all our stuff laid out, all our buildings and techniques, Chris has a point. We should have some kind of, like, playmat or something because it just gets, like, a little crowded and big and placing your workers where the workers who are active and the workers who you remove, it gets kind of confusing, like, which one you chose. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see that. But at the same time, you know, it helps keep down on the production costs. Like, there's a lot of games, they just load up more and more components. Like, I'd rather there be no, you know, tracks or charts and the game be 35 than them putting in coasters and say, that's where you put your meeples, and then the game is 55. Yeah, but I I don't think this is a... I don't think that would be a coaster situation. It could use some sort of roll-out, fold-out kind of yeah. playmat where you place the cards because you can lose track of things. But see, it, that, that's it, when we make the blueprints for that and then we sell the copyrights to Asmodee Games nice. and then we get rich. I see what yeah. you did there. They pay us in spirit. <laughs> 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 like, I like your design. We'll give you 100 victory points for this. Deal! Wait, no! <laughs> you know what I noticed? You don't to negotiate anymore. <laughs> you know what I noticed? On the event cards, it's like a, a newspaper. Yeah, which is yeah. awesome. That's I love cool. that at the back of the card. All right. Yeah. So if that's true, Dan, tell me about the coins, Dan. <laughs> yeah, that's the only... Talk to me about the coins. They're good, right? Dan? I like the is design. Is that what you want to say, right? <laughs> you want to say... There, I think there's boxes of metal coins that are mocking you right now. I feel like I'm having an argument with my significant other right now. <laughs> I'm being baited into something I don't want to go into. So, it's small, it's thin, it's... It's a, the five and the ones are the same size, and that is and they're that's my one complaint. Yeah, and they're pretty, just a different size. Even the even the uh, logo I think is identical, right? The both sides reverse. But for what it's worth, that's actually accurate representation of European currency. I actually spent those in Delhi the other day, <laughs> <laughs> and I got myself a delicious yuhu for just one pound. <laughs> Well, it's the exchange rate. I was going to say, yeah, it's like, you know, the the dollar's a little weak right now, so it goes further. This is what I like about your local game store, (laughs) that you could trade it in. Cardboard tokens for food Yeah, well, it's good to have a European store, too. That helps out. But I just have to say, though, when I very first played the game, I was completely lost. Like, the second time, I was a little, I was, I got a little more, but it is kind of confusing because all the cards are different. And they have, like, like the technique cards. They'll just have symbols and, like, have, like, uh, additions or minuses or something like that. And it just, it, it kind of gets confusing. But what I love about the game is the back of the rule book, it explains every single, every single card. card. Which is great. And, yeah, I mean, this, you don't is get a, that. this is a heavy iconography game, which is great for me since I never learned to read. <laughs> but, uh, as we learned a few moments ago. Byrium. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, that's one thing I do enjoy about this game, that, you know, it's... The cards aren't bogged down with text, and once you get play a game or two, you're going to start remembering what everything did. I just have to say, I have to agree with uh, Chris about the components. Um, the meeples, they're ordinary, but if they made them different colors, like not the standard red, yellow, green, blue, if they had like purple or orange or stuff like that, I think I would like to play it more. Who sees purple meeples? I have not seen a purple meeple. I would love to see a purple meeple. Once Carcassonne has a purple meeple, that's when we'll see a purple meeple in uh, You're a purple meeple. I I, I know you guys say that the uh, the meeples are plain, but I mean like, do you want them to have like cowboy hats and like a laser pistol? I think I think the I think like what Dan and Anthony are saying, like the game has the mechanics have such a high quality 
really well thought out, nice play. You know what? This game deserves better components. It's not that it requires better components, but man, I would what? love to have better components to reach the level of the mechanic quality here. What if they go the Agricola route and then later on they sell you a box of better components and then you buy that separate? It worked once before for a company. Sure. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> Purple you know, meeples. I don't have a problem with that because the price on this is so great entry level wise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, worst case scenario, if you don't like the meeples, we can always break out those Guild of Catawalon guys and just use those in their place. But like we said, <laughs> this game has a very Seven Wonders feel, like Kim was saying about the iconography, that it has a steep learning curve. When these cards first come out, it's kind of confusing. I played my second game. I'm still still trying to figure out what exactly does what. But, uh, you know, once you get a few games under your belt, you'll kind of know what cards do what and what you should be waiting for in the future. Yeah. And uh, but definitely sleeve the cards, too, because they do, they do kind of get around as far as the table's concerned. Yeah, and that's the one yeah, thing, like, um, <laughs> like, in the A phase, you're doing three rounds of the A phase, but you're not going to use all the A cards. So you might be banking on one card coming up and then never see it, which is kind of what happened to me our first th on the, our third round. I'm like, but, but I need that extra building. But same thing with B phase. B phase, you won't get them all. And C phase, it's always the same nine. So you can always bank on those last cards. I like that because it kind of gives you a different playthrough every single time. Exactly. I like that a lot too. Also with the event cards, there's always one card that you're not going to use. Exactly. I like that element of you can't always count on it. And one other thing too with the event cards that's pretty sweet is the next event card is always exposed. So you can kind of plan ahead a little bit. So that's a nice touch too. Yeah, I mean, the the way the cards work, and then the way, when we talked earlier about how you could have, a, you know, like your own engine, or you could build up the buildings, or you could take the victory points straight off the track. Um, you know, we played it three times, and I played it differently every single time, and they all worked out. Yeah. Like, I seriously feel you could play this any way you want and win the game, legitimately. And uh, what I like, too, is it lets you be a little more creative with how you play. Like, I've actually played it about six times so far. I've never come in first yet. I've always been like, you know, like point or two behind first, and I'm trying different strategies, and they're always working really well. I'm just not finalizing. So it feels good knowing that you can try something new, and it's not like, oh, I got 40, I got 45, I got six. I so, got a rock. <laughs> <laughs> it is green. Yeah. <laughs> it's Charlie Brown rocks. I just want to just let everyone just, as a little warning, um, the box. It looks like it would be a steampunkish type of game. Like you see gears on it, you have like this big blimp on it, and even like the Spirium words, they're like like pipes and gears yeah, and stuff like, like that. But all brass looking. Yeah, but when you open the game and you look at the components, nothing is steampunkish. Like you just have regular factory buildings, Victorian buildings, but not really steampunk buildings. Clockwork meeples. Somebody make those and I will give you the monies. <laughs> I'll give you all the monies, all the monies for clockwork meeples made of brass no. and steel. Oh, I want them. I can see them so vividly. <laughs> you gotta say I'll give you all the dollars. <laughs> I will give them all of the dollars. <laughs> and that's the other thing about the board and the back of the cards is it definitely has it definitely follows through with the theme it definitely has a nice artwork and design to it but it's also very brown so the the the, the yeah. uh, victory point track you kind of get lost as you're trying to place your meeple you can easily move and lose a lose a point here and there and the back of the cards it's not a major problem but there are kind of a little bit you know blurs into the background yeah 
they're labeled ABC. You can't really read the ABCs unless you look very closely. And yeah. that's a problem in cleanup. And the art is the exact same too. Um, the one thing we're going for is we're actually going to sleeve the A, B, and C in different colored backing sleeves. So this way cleanup is going to be one, two, three. Might be something to look into for yourself too. Yeah. Yeah, and the board too. Like I, a couple times I've thought it could just be a little bit bigger. And you yeah. know, I know that would make the box bigger, but the there's a lot of cards on there and then there's a lot of tokens. Um, at any given time, there could be four separate tokens of your own on there Yeah. for each player. So that could be 20 tokens plus the two stacks of cards and the, everything slides all over the place and the board's just really small. It does take up a lot of room though. I, I noticed in the, even in a two-player game, you need a, a, a big table for this. Yeah, you need the say. board, then you have the three-by-three three grid of the town plus your area plus yep. your buildings. But, I mean, I gotta say, like I said, I... I was looking at this game for a while. I mentioned a few episodes back, it was on my acquisition disorder. I am so happy I picked this game up. I am beyond pleased with this purchase. It is definitely fun. One other thing I'm hoping for is, you know, uh, we were actually talking a little before the podcast about like crossover games, like games that have like Love Letter. What was it you said it was related to again? Love Letter is is part of the Tempest. Part of the Tempest universe, and there's multiple games that kind of follow through with the same characters. Spirium, there's no technical company names or anything else yet, but they could always build something off of that. Because I, I love the concept of how this game flows. Yeah, yeah, it's like I said earlier, it's like Guilty Cabalon meets Seven Wonders, and for me, that's great because Guilty Cabalon always felt like you know it's an easy wind down game, and Seven Wonders never really struck me quite right. I know everybody loves it, but I never it quite I never know. quite struck. <laughs> yeah, right. Team down on Seven Wonders, um, but it, it just it always felt a little too solitaire-ish. You're not really interacting with enough players. Heresy! I know. <laughs> How dare thee speak against the Seven Wonders of the gaming world? I would have to say it's like like how Dan hates Munchkin. It's my Munchkin. Seven Wonders. Ooh, wow. I don't yeah. hate it that much. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Then I, I really hate it because... Wow. It, it just gets so confusing. Passing cards back and forth, and then somebody just forgets <laughs> to pass the cards. God knows like... how many laughs you make in it. A... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a righty. <laughs> All right, guys. So what do we think about Spirium? Buy it. Yeah, just I, buy it. Absolutely. I love this game. It is... Like the first game, we were constantly checking that book just to make sure we understood, especially the um, the techniques and such, because it was like, all right, hold on, okay, yeah, it gives you extra points for your removals. All right, wait, this one, okay, this one lets you untap a building, unuse, unuse a building, not untap. But uh, I I could not be happy with this game. This is without a doubt my favorite purchase of this year. And just uh, remember, two play. If you're looking for a two player game, I wouldn't say this is it. If you can try and get three or more. It'd be better. So. Yeah, like guilds would be better two player. I yeah. would say break out kill, you know, guilds in a yeah. smaller situation. I definitely play twelve too. Yeah, this is a great game. I love it a lot. Um, I've played it uh, three times now, and every single time had a blast. Even the first time when I literally had no idea what I was doing, um, which you're gonna do because just don't even try. Don't even get upset. It's just gonna be one game of being completely out of like trying to figure out the iconography, checking the book. Once you get through that first game, every game after that will feel much smoother. Yeah. I would say, like, your first game, you should just go in expecting to just figure out what does what, yeah. not actually looking to win or Someone's to get a certain win, points. but they won't know how they did it. Yeah. <laughs> like me. But um, I like this game a lot. I mean, honestly, I, I would play it again right now. We just played it before we recorded. I would play it again right now. Um, 
so I'm going to say it's addictive, uh, definitely a buy. Uh, for me, I might not pick it up because it's not good for two, as you guys are saying. No. Um, I don't like games necessarily that don't play well with two. I have a lot of, you know, I don't play with you guys. So I'm yeah. But, uh, I, you know, if, if I did, if it if I needed a three-player game or four-player game, whatever, I would definitely pick this game up because it is that much fun. And you already got the friend that has it in his collection, so you're covered. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to rate it above that. I'm going to rate it above a play to buy. <laughs> Give your friend $5 towards this exactly, game. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Help him buy it. <laughs> Yeah, especially with the with the components, um, I don't think our friend, at least my friend, not your friend, but Anton Bowser from Seven Wonders, I don't think he has to worry because <laughs> my friend, the components, I'm sorry, the game mechanic is great, um, but I've played this in Seven Wonders and I like Seven Wonders better. I like Parade. No. <laughs> A great game, everybody. Well, you should look, go and get that. Look, you take your you take your coasters and go elsewhere, yeah, Missy. I, I think we're about to have a physical altercation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, this um, is falling apart, guys. <laughs> so yes, this game definitely combines the best of our two of our favorite games. This is a play for me. Dan has it, obviously, so we'll definitely get to play it in the future. But because of the components is a little bit of a letdown, and the graphic design is a little bit of a letdown, and for me, Seven Wonders always already fills this fills this niche. And for me, it feels a little bit better. I think the card art is a little bit better. The interplay is a little bit better. But this is a great game. And if, if you're interested, definitely pick this up. All right. So there you have it. Uh, if you want to make sure your components are top quality, this game may be not perfect for you. If you are looking for another worker placement with plays good with three to five players, kind of that seven wonders feel, every game is very different. Um, most of us say to buy it. It's, this is a very good game. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad we picked it up. Absolutely. All right, guys. So, uh, so I got a. Twi- I looked on Twitter the other day. GTA Five made over a billion dollars in forty-eight hours, and their sales in the UK. One out of every thirty people in the country has that game. I got sixty-five of my dollars. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so basically, if you go into a cafe and it's like, "Hey, who has GTA?" Somebody has to raise their hand. Yeah, by law, somebody's gonna be raising their hand. <laughs> That's so. Awesome. You know, since uh, everyone we know and you know is going to be playing this game for a while, we were thinking about all your friends that play video games in general, and what are some good board games or RPGs to help transition to get them to put down the controller for a few minutes, come to the table, see the face of other human beings, socialize, and, you know, get out for a different type of gaming experience. So what are some of your recommendations? Well, um... For people who usually play like those Skyrim game, the Skyrim game, GTA, Saints Row, something with an open world, D&D and most of the role-playing games would be very good for them. Yeah, I can see that. Like, if your friends love Call of Duty, you can make a nice white wolf world where they're playing special agents trying to hunt down, like, top-secret, you know, operatives and whatnot. Just, uh, if you can try to find, like, a old white wolf player's, gu- uh, player's guide, because the new one, it seems a bit more like Twilight. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the, uh, the early editions of white wolf. They were a little grittier and a little more vicious. The new ones, it's... You know, they made it for more of a casual market, but I mean, if you're new to RPGs, you might want to check there too. It's it's a little easier to get into it at that level. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea because there are a lot of board games that do end up feeling kind of video game-ish. Sometimes on purpose, but sometimes also, you know, just incidentally. I mean, one that I can think of that's incredibly on purpose that we I think we reviewed a few weeks ago was Boss Monster. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's literally an homage <laughs> to. It. See at the same time. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, I feel left out now. 
But yeah, Boss Monster is great for that because it's, you know, that classic 8-bit feel, you know. It's any of your friends that played any of the old Nintendo games, they'll want to try it just because of the way it looks. Yeah, that's almost their main selling point, and it just happens to be a really good game, which is great. But yeah. like you look at the box art, and it's an old Nintendo cartridge, so they're not they're not covering that up at all. This is totally like 80s, mid-80s or late-80s nostalgia. And it's interesting how it's like, it looks exactly like a side-scroller. When you're putting the cards down, they all connect. So I think that's yeah. like pretty cool. It's like, hey, I'm playing Mario, but not really. Now, like uh, one of my favorite type of video games is I love the turn-based strategy games. Like I love the Disgaea franchise, Phantom Brave, everything by NIS and Atlas. So for me, games like Dungeon Command from Wizards of the Coast, it's almost like a turn-based combat style because you have the standard D&D grid and you're moving your units around, you're planning your actions, you're trying to see how your opponent's moving to know where to jockey for position. And the fact that you're moving your whole side during your turn, then they're moving their whole side, has that perfect, you know, that old like PS2 turn-based combat style feel to it. And another thing that's good about that game is it gives them a gateway to check out D&D if you want to get them into your RPG groups too. Yeah, that's a great like dive in there. There's a lot of games like that too if you don't want to go straight to the D&D type um, feel to it. There's a lot of dungeon crawling tactical type um, board games. Uh, another one that we reviewed not too long ago that feels very much like a video game is a Puzzle Strike. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that like Doctor Mario Tetris. I mean, not Tetris. Yeah. I think that was a video game prior to the board game coming out. They made it look just like just it. Like it was off of uh, Puzzle Fighter, the Street Fighter puzzle game. Yeah. And they yeah. Come, so legally just, distinct Puzzle Strike. Very similar art, <laughs> and you would pick it up. You could almost think that's what it is. And you also have Crossmasters, which is also a video game that uses the game the game board components. Yeah, that's yeah. a cool idea too. Like they have the both going at once. You scan the things, you put them online. You can play it with the figures yeah. that you buy. You can always give your friend the code for him to try it out online, or you know her to try it out, see what they think, and then break out the board game for them to play there. So they'll feel a little more familiar. Now, are you guys familiar with tower defense games on the PC? Oh yeah, I love those. Yeah, like the old uh, War, like Warcraft Three tower defenses oh, yeah, and Starcrafts. Absolutely. What's awesome is they actually have a couple board games like that, like Mage Tower and Castle Panic. They actually have yes, where, yeah. yeah, it's basically like a, a, a like a turn-based tower defense game. I didn't, I didn't even think about that, but that's actually a perfect example. Castle Panic is that feel it's just exactly like that. Exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's a great game. Yeah, like um, another one. I mean a little bit akin to like how Final Fantasy you have the turn you know you go they go, like not your whole side but person by person Mage Wars almost gives you a little bit of that too because you're activating one of your guys they're activating one of their guys so the battle's fighting back and forth you always want to take down that big baddie before you go for the little guys so it has like a little bit of that RPG feel too if you have friends that play like the classic Final Fantasy games and such yeah it's almost just like one of the boss fights especially the length yeah, you get to the end of like Final Fantasy VII, you're fighting Genova, and it's like an hour and a half in. You're like, why aren't you dead yet? Yeah, and that's and the feel of Mage Wars. And it's great because you're the end guy to your opponent, so you get to feel pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Um, one other I thought of recently too is Formula D Racing. Actually, fits in well if you have friends that are like fans of like Need for Speed or Forza Motorsport. You know, it's one of the few board games that incorporates racing mechanics. But it's actually not too bad. It's pretty fun, and you know it introduces the different polyhedral dice, so they'll get used to different types of dice for other games. And if your friends are more of uh, like the twisted metal type of card games, there's always like Roadkill Rally and games like that. Another great game would be the Star Trek X-Wing game because it has high-quality miniatures, 
and you get to actually have that experience of being like a third person shooter in space and it's something that you can play pretty easily pretty quickly it gets you involved in that kind of miniature kind of feel so it's another good gateway game yeah so like I mean those miniatures look great so it's almost like you know like good graphics is what you can pitch them yeah, as it just reminds me of the old X-Wing versus TIE Fighter game yes. yeah I mean uh, everything love that game. Yeah, this and there was a ton of Star Wars games too. So I mean, it's almost like from that table perspective, it really does almost look like that's the screen. Yeah. So that's a nice bonus yeah. too. Yeah, and we should definitely talk about when they take a, a video game IP and turn it into a board game, because well, some of them are good, some of them are not, and so it can kind of throw this off a little bit. Well, you have StarCraft, which has been out there for a couple of years now, and they have the expansion Brood War, so you do have that kind of RTS feel that's already out there, and there's also Civilization. Which is Civilization. Yeah, which I've is heard great well things about Civilization. That's actually one of the things I'm looking forward to playing soon. Yeah, that really captures the feel of it. You can even yeah. win by cultural victory in the board game and such. That sounds fantastic. Like um, Now, one thing I, I have yet to get my hands on, I've heard actually mixed reviews about it, is the Resident Evil deck builder. Oh, I heard that was horrible. Yeah, I, I've heard two people say it was good, and then a kind of number a bit higher than that say not so good. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured when everybody was clearancing it off for... Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, they had five different sets come out. So, I mean, they had to have been making money on it. You figure if it's not good, after the second set, people would be like, I'm done spending money on this. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it, just, it had a run. I am curious about it. I heard there's actually, like, a level-up mechanic where you can acquire skills and equipment to carry over into the next game. So that's that could cool. be pretty interesting. I got to find out which expansion that's in because I was thinking of hitting mini market, ordering it on clearance for like twenty five bucks or whatever it is. I mean, one other one too. On a quick side note, uh, to talk about you know the transition to the board game, Hero Clicks might work if you have friends that are also into comics a bit, like if they play like you know the Spider Man games, X Men games, well, you know the any of the Marvel based games on the you know the consoles. That can help transition over, and again, it gives you that turn based combat feel. So that's always a nice choice too. It's probably a better question to ask, what is not a hero click? Right? Yeah, that's true. I, and you're going to be ashamed of me, but I already pre-ordered from Mini Market a booster case of the Yu-Gi-Oh! hero clicks that are coming out soon. They look so cool and it's so nostalgic. <laughs> Why, dude? You Why? can activate a trap card in hero clicks. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I'll tell you that you now have activated my trap card by not knowing what to say to that. <laughs> But um, even, uh, don't forget, you got your uh, Street Fighter hero clicks. Yeah, the Street Fighter guys are amazing. I was so happy I got those. Yeah. Bioshock? Bioshock. Yeah, the Bioshock Infinite guys are amazing. And Bioshock Infinite, we actually picked up that box game recently from Plat Hat Games. We just put our unboxing video online. You can check that now on our website and our YouTube channel. And we're going to have a review of that pretty soon. And I can't wait to play that game. Yeah, it looks amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, but, I mean, that's just, like, a few suggestions for you guys to, you know, introduce your friends to some other types of games. You know, get them to come out every so often, invite them to a game night, and it'll be something that they'll feel a little more comfortable with. You know, it's a good transitional piece. Does anyone else have any other suggestions, or are we about to get ready for our next game, Asperium? Absolutely. And just remember, there is a board game, a miniature game, or a card game for every type of video game, comic book, or geek-related activity that you might want to get involved with. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you're thinking of a certain kind of game that we didn't mention, you know, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, and I guarantee one of us will think of something that will fit the, uh, or somebody who, who's following us will. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that as a personal challenge. I want to see yeah. somebody name somebody that's into a genre that we can't find. <laughs> All right, guys, so we're going to get to the table and break out another game. This is Dan signing off. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Gabe.
Kim. Until next time, we'll save a seat for you at the table. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.